0: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams. I've done all sorts of creative deals. There's a lot of ways to get deals done, guys, and there's a lot of strategies. Kevin Bupp's with us today, and he's got a fantastic strategy. He has over 12 communities of mobile home parks, which is a little over 1,000 lots in eight different states, and he's about to buy 700 more. Kevin Bupp, welcome to the show. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about your strategy and how you got into it
1: yeah as far as uh, how i got into mobile home park investing uh i go back a ways as being an investor um- back when I was 19, I got introduced to real estate. I'm 39 today. So 20 20 years ago was my first introduction to real estate. I started buying single family homes, um, primarily to fix and hold, uh, but also did fix and flips along the way and some wholesale deals. Five or six years into that, I started buying multifamily properties. That kind of led up to 2008. I'm just going to give you the real quick condensed version of how I got into mobile home parks. And so leading up to 2008, the crash happened, uh, lost pretty much everything that I had worked for, built up a very large portfolio of single family homes, pretty significant portfolio of apartment complexes and lost mostly all of it during the period of one or two years following the crash. And um, mobile home parks kind of came about just like my uh, entry into real estate did. It was unexpected and wasn't really planned. Um, I was introduced to a gentleman that was in the, had been in the mobile home park space on the financing side for about 30 years, his entire career. And uh, he had retired and started buying mobile home communities here in Florida. This is back in like 2012 and, uh, had lunch with him. did really had no intentions whatsoever, Adam, uh, other than just meeting someone new, right? Expanding your network, your, your network is your net worth, right? That's kind of how I always think of these things. And uh, I was like, I'm going to go have lunch with his name is Randy. And, um, I only had an interest in multifamily at the time. I was just going to go meet the guy and I left a two hour lunch with Randy uh, and he piqued my interest in many different ways. Kind of blew my mind with a few things uh, regarding the, the niche and I left that meeting uh, essentially committing to giving it a year of my time and dedication to not focus on multifamily, not focus on anything else, but mobile home parks into the goal would be to either prove or disprove the concept or the asset class. And that's what I did. Uh, it took me a little over a year to buy the first community and um, bought that first community. And, um, you know, here we are, um, 12 communities later, and uh, this is all we focus in. So, that, that's really the 10,000-foot the view of how I, got, how I got introduced to mobile home parks.
0: Well, I have a lot of questions. First off, what part of Florida was this uh, with
1: Randy? Uh, Clearwater. Yeah, I'm based in okay. Clearwater. Randy's, okay. actually, Randy's actually about um, an hour and a half north of Tampa. So, like in the same in the Tampa Bay area
0: okay so do you own mobile home parks in florida then
1: surprisingly enough we, florida has the second largest population of mobile home parks in the country and mm-hmm. we only own one here
0: okay okay <laughs> so uh, it's kind of
1: ironic but you know, just one
0: gotcha so what are the other eight states the other seven
1: so we are in uh, georgia uh, north carolina virginia uh, michigan
0: kentucky alabama and maryland so let me ask you a, a couple of questions here. So how do you fund your mobile home parks? So initially, uh, the
1: first uh, first five or six of them were majority of my own capital with also some private investor capital. Um, more so just an independent investor acting as a bank for us. Um, and so the first, you know, I think it was five deals that I essentially did on my own with, a, with one partner and then some private capital. Um, since then we've, uh, we just got done, uh, last year we, last March, we basically had a, a mobile home park fund that we, um, that we launched and we raised capital for a period of a year, uh, bought five communities, uh, inside of that fund. And then we're actually about to roll out in less than 30 days, uh, our second mobile home park fund. And so last year and leading into this year and for the foreseeable future, it's going to be in a syndicated model, but in a blind pool syndicated model. That's where we're raising capital in a general partner limited partner structure. And essentially, you know, the limited partners are participating in a deal both in a preferred return format as well as a uh, distributable cash flow split and a profit split in the back end.
0: Okay, so you said equity partners? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, will you define what's the difference between a equity partner and, and debt?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, with a debt partner, you're simply putting some type of uh, security instrument in place. I mean, they're taking the role of a bank. The banks don't necessarily have ownership of the deal. Um, you know, there's a set term uh based on the lending parameter so uh, as far as like a debt structure a debt partner would look something like this I'll give you a, a, a basic example and um, our very first deal that we did a first mobile home park we had a private investor that put up uh, two hundred thousand dollars in a first lien position and and um, he was at 10% interest, it was a 15 year fully amortizing loan and he literally took the role of the bank in that scenario. He was a debt partner, he did not participate in our cash flow, he did not participate in any of the profits, uh, well we haven't sold that yet but he would not participate in any of the profits during the sale of that property. So strictly debt, he gets back, basically paid back on that $200,000 that he initially loaned including the interest income as well. So that would be the debt partner whereas the, on the equity side, uh, the money that we're bringing in uh, is essentially going towards, for the most part, the down payment and the capital improvements of the deals that we're buying. Uh, we are putting bank debt in place, and so there is a, a debt mechanism in place on all the deals we buy today. And so our equity partner is essentially putting up the the down payment, the front-loaded money that's needed to take down these deals. But what they get in exchange for that is they get a passive investment where. They're essentially our partner. Uh, they're our 50-50 partner. Um, they get a preferred return paid to them before anyone takes any money out of the deal. So, after the debt service is paid, and after the operating expenses, they get 8% preferred return paid back to them. And then after that, the cash flows are split 50-50. And so, not only the cash flow is split 50-50, but any of the refinance, you know, if we did a cash out refinance, uh, any type of liquidity event like that, there would be a 50-50 split as well as a a sale of that asset. So, the profits on the back end, they also participate in those so I mean for all intents and purposes they are a they're an equal partner uh, in our deals they just don't have to do anything that's the beautiful part they don't have to do anything. they can sit at home go out in their boat whatever and the checks come in so we kind of call it mailbox money
0: cool Um, so also as far as the blind pool fund uh, mm-hmm. Versus, you know, a syndication where you would just do one deal and they'd get a look specifically at that deal. Could you talk to the listeners a little bit about that as well?
1: Yeah, and I shouldn't call it a blind pool. You know, that, that that's kind of the common terminology. But I'd like to call ours as a uh, they're semi blind pools because we're not essentially just going out and raising capital, saying, "Here's what we're going to do. Please put blind faith in us." Uh, like and I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Right now, we've got six deals in contract. We're going to be rolling out our second fund here in the next 30 days or less. And so Mm -hmm. those six deals are going to go into that second fund. And so we've already got a portion of the deals identified. More than likely, there's probably going to be 10 or 12 total deals in that entire blind pool fund. But it's, again, it's kind of semi-blind because part of them are already identified. There's a chance that one or two might not close of of the six we have in contract. So it's kind of a semi-blind pool. Whereas in a deal-specific um, there's one property identified. Um, you typically know everything about that property. I mean, all the particulars are there um, for the limited partners to review, uh, understand the underwriting of that one asset, okay? So it's not blended together with multiple other assets. Whereas in our fund, we're going to have 10 plus properties once this fund is all said and done.
0: Gotcha. Okay, perfect. So what type of fund did you guys get set up the first time? And is Same the thing. Same- Yeah, same structure. Reg A, Reg?
1: Uh, Yeah, Reg D506C.
0: Okay, Mm -hmm. good deal. So do you advertise that on your podcast? We do. Mm -hmm. Cool. Awesome. And how big is the fund, are you allowed to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first one, uh, we had it at set at 10 million. Um, we ended up raising just under five. We we did turn a good amount of money away at the end, but it was more so we could have raised a lot more, but we wanted to be very, uh, very, be very responsible with that first raise just to get the timing correct with the, the purchasing of the assets. So we essentially bought assets throughout the entire year, entire mm-hmm. last year. Um, the second time around, uh, we were a lot more confident as far as our, our um, our deal flow, I mean we've got a massive pipeline right now and uh, that's really the the whole, that's the either make it or break it of a blind pull is anyone, I shouldn't say anyone can raise capital. Getting the capital is challenging but like if you take the capital in, you got to be able to deploy it very responsibly. And so the second fund's $10 million and we feel very confident in our ability to raise that amount of capital but also deploy it uh, very responsibly uh, throughout. 10 to plus, t- 10 or 12 or more deals.
0: Oh, great. We're going to probably go into some of the strategies on the mobile home park investing uh, with this fund. I wanted to mention because we kind of talked about your podcast. You have two podcasts. One of them is called the Real Estate Investing for Cash Flow podcast mm-hmm. and then the Mobile Home Park Investing podcast, right? That's correct. Are those both active? Do you record episodes for each of them?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So the Real Estate Investing for flow podcast, I've been doing that one about four and a half years and I do re- record weekly. Uh, we have re- weekly releases. There was a period of time where I did eight shows a month rather than four. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been some weeks I've missed um, and it happens here and there, but that one is very consistent. Uh, the Mobile Home Park Investing podcast, I think we released about 87 or 88 episodes. And um, towards the end of last year, we went into somewhat of a hiatus, uh, but we're actually relaunching it here in a month. It just kind of changed the strategy a little bit. And so that one, Strangely enough, Adam, um, we have not recorded the show for a number of months now, but it still is remaining in the top, I think like 10, you know, on iTunes as far as our real estate investing. But it's a, we're very granular with our content. I mean, we really don't hold anything back. We don't have a scarce mentality. We got very much of an abundance mentality. And so we share our business model, um, the inner workings of our, of our model, case studies on deals, challenges in the business. It's not just the very, it's not the high level point of view, which you get in a lot of shows. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, Allowed to remain incredibly popular, even yeah. though we haven't released any new episodes lately.
0: That's cool. That's cool. And you can find these uh, to the listeners in at kevinbup.com. And I'll put that into the show notes um, as well. So let's talk a little bit about the strategy for mm-hmm. purchasing these properties. So first off, how do you find the deals?
1: Yeah. So just like a lot of people do, we do utilize brokers, you know, listed properties on the market, but that's not really our secret sauce. You know, Adam, I know that, you, I believe you're in the single family, multifamily space, correct? Mult, yeah, multifamily. Yeah, multi- so it's a very competitive landscape out there. It doesn't matter what market you're in. It really doesn't. I mean, some are more competitive than others, but it's incredibly challenging to find um, great deals if you're only resorting to finding them through brokers, right? Because once it gets out there to the open marketplace, everyone and their brother bids on it. There's always someone willing to pay a little bit more than you, right? Always someone willing willing mm-hmm. to take a little bit less of a return. And so- We don't like playing that game too much. We do play in that sandbox, but that's not our our bread and butter. Our bread and butter is a proprietary database that we've spent nearly five years building. Um, You can't just go out and buy a list of all the mobile home parks in the country. It's not possible. Um, And so we've literally databased every single market that we have an interest in investing in across the entire United States, Um, researched the you know, the park owners, home mailing address, his second home address in Florida, his cell phone number, his wife's cell phone number. We have all those intimate details. And um, so we do direct marketing to those individuals via direct mail campaigns and cold calling. And so we have a, it's essentially a full-time effort for us of doing that. Um, We are nonstop calling and sending mailers to these individuals. Again, to parks that they're very targeted, that we have an interest in owning. So that is where 90% of our deal flow comes from.
0: Uh, a couple questions on on those. You have their phone numbers. Have you ever used a uh, slide dial uh, and ha- dropped the just the voicemail? We have. Mm-hmm. Have you ever used a text message blast for, for some of these?
1: We have not, but we are actually... Um we're just implementing Podio into our into our lead acquisition system, and so we will be using text, uh, not necessarily to cold text these individuals, but more so for the ones that actually respond to a either a cold call or a direct mail as a source of follow-up.
0: Okay, great. Okay, so once you find the deal, um, ha- there's got to be a lot of ways that these are funded.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: the have you ever done an owner financed or a lease option, something creative like that?
1: Yeah, never a lease option. I'm not opposed to that, um, but we have done a lot of owner finance deals. In fact, I believe uh, half of our portfolio right now has been owner finance. At least five of them have been owner financed. And um, it's, it's a really valid strategy uh, in our niche. And the reason behind that is it's, this asset class is a very, it has a group of aging owners. The majority of the parks that, that we know today were built in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And there's a large majority of those that have first generation owners that are now in their 80s and 90s. And uh, some younger than that, but for the most part, you find that they're own free and clear, and that the owners have grown very accustomed to this cash flow, and uh, also they've got a non existing tax basis so that capital gains is going to be a you know a significant concern for a lot of them and so we found that owner financing is a, is a huge benefit for both us as well as a lot of these sellers and then on the other half of the coin is you know, owners that have a plan for the money, right? They've got a kind of a intent of what they're going to use that capital for, what they're going to reinvest it in. And those people owner financing might not work good for. And so we'll just get bank debt involved at that point in time.
0: Okay, perfect. I've got a couple quick questions. So you did say earlier that you usually get debt against the properties, right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. So what kind of loans are you able to do with these properties?
1: Yeah, that's another one of the I guess not, not challenges, but potential barriers in this business is you'll find that banks either get this niche or they don't. And there's very few times that there's an in-between either they understand it or they don't. And so financing can be a challenge depending on the quality of the, the community that you're looking at and the market that it's located in. And so assuming that we're going to be able to get debt put in place, if it's under a million dollars, typically that's a community size bank. Um, anything under a million dollar loan amount, community size bank. And what we typically underwrite with, and it's we're pretty conservative, but what we typically underwrite with is a 70% loan to value. You know, market rates nowadays are, you know, somewhere like the mid fives for like a community sized bank
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, uh, a five-year balloon uh, over a 20-year amortization. That's, again, that's our conservative underwriting guidelines. We'll always push for a longer amortization if we can get it. You know, sometimes you can get them to the stretch to 25 years and or you know a higher loan to value like sometimes you'll get that threshold pushed up to 75% so uh, but we always underwrite at 70% loan to value, 20 year amortization, five year balloon and right now somewhere in the mid 5% interest rates. Now as far as financing on loans that are a million dollars or larger um, that's when a lot of the national lenders can get involved that's where they actually have an appetite for the space. Uh, The options open up a lot once you're in that loan amount size or higher and then once you get into like the $2 million plus category, $2 million loan amount category, and if it's a solid quality asset and a good market, even Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are involved in the space. So there's good agency debt available. And there's also a few CMBS lenders as well. So the average Fannie Mae loan, you're looking at a a 30-year amortization, um, rates are hovering like right around 5% right now. I, I see, I've seen a few go just under 5%, 10-year uh, uh, balloon, so fixed for 10 years, um, and then 70 to 75% loan-to-value. So that's really the space that's the most fun to play in yeah. uh, when you get that longer-term fixed debt in place. It's just they're very particular about the quality of the asset, mm-hmm. about the current occupancy, and about the market itself. And so only about a third of our portfolio currently today as it sits would qualify for that type of debt.
0: Okay, so is there ever a chance that you could do an eighty twenty loan even with Fannie Freddie, depending on where it's located? That's
1: that's a good question. I'm not sure. I I I, I don't even try to answer because I don't know. Um, I would have to guess that they would still want to see skin in the game. Are you are you, are you talking as far as like the seller carrying back twenty percent and trying to get in zero down? Is that what you're meant? I mean, is that what you're referencing? Uh,
0: that no, I was just just specifically talking about the loan itself, but, you know, the strategy of being able to have the debt carried back, the 20% down carried back would be, a, a you know, a great strategy. I was just curious because sometimes we have a, a f- couple Fannie Freddie loans that we have or um, or one that we're about to close on that are 80-20 in the multifamily space. So I was just mm-hmm. curious if they have that option with mobile home.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Who's the twenty percent that's um, that's got the debt on your deal that you're mentioning?
0: So the so we have a million dollar loan uh, or nine high nines, and that's a Fannie. So
1: really, very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And th- this is a new acquisition.
0: So. Uh, the Freddie was, and the Fannie were just taking over a eighty twenty loan replacing the 20%, okay. yeah, with our investors.
1: I gotcha. So yeah, that's a good curious. question. I, I don't know the answer to that. that. That is a good question though.
0: Most, most even even apartments are usually 75, you know, or 70. So I was just curious mm-hmm. why we're getting these 80s. Yeah, I'll
1: tell you that. I mean, I just, just trying to paint a broad brush stroke Mm -hmm. everyone's throwing money at multifamily nowadays. I mean, everyone's competing for that business. All the lenders are competing for that business. So I feel like just comparing, trying to compare apples to apples of a mobile home park or our industry versus your industry, there's a lot more flexibility um, from all lenders as far as multifamily is concerned. Uh, I mean, I feel like banks are tripping over one another to try to give you guys money in the multifamily space. Whereas us, there are a few that trip over one another, but it's not as prevalent. <laughs>
0: gotcha, gotcha. More
1: so like we're tripping over ourselves to try to get them to take a look at this deal because it's such a great opportunity. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just, again, it goes back to this is a niche that either you understand or you don't understand. It's not as big of a niche as multifamily, obviously. I mean, there's only literally 50,000 or so parks in the United States. It's such a small number when you really think about it on a grand scale.
0: Yeah. I have a few more questions queued up before we go into the final five. I was going to... Sure. So our, our cap rates, we're struggling to find eight caps in our multifamilies. Mm-hmm. Are you, what about you? What about your multi, um, mobile homes?
1: Yeah, so I don't want to really talk regarding cap rate a lot of the things okay. we buy is uh, more value add and so mm-hmm. what what you find in our space which it, it, it happens in every every niche but with these mom-and-pop owners i mean if you just really base it on a cap rate on their existing noi that's in place you're going to find that their expense ratios are much higher sometimes double what they should be because they're wow. just they're running lots of personal expenses through there or they're mm-hmm. just mismanaging the property which is very common mm-hmm. um you also find that rents have not been increased in a long long time and so i'm yeah. going to give you an example um this is This is one of many of the parks that we own today. <clears throat> it's very common though, like how we get into these. So we bought a park up in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, if you looked at it from a cap rate perspective based on the existing NOI in place for the prior calendar year, we bought it mm-hmm. like a five cap, which we don't do. that's not our that's not our strategy. Mm-hmm. He was running <clears throat> he was running, I believe about an eighty six percent expense ratio oh, on cow. this park, and uh, the park was in good condition. Uh, his challenges were, number one, his rents were below market. Number two, um, he owned a number of the units in the park and he had no no um, screening policy in place for new residents. And so he was literally turning on average like two and a half residents per year. And so not only you go through eviction with these folks, but he would go through a rehab every time. So he was losing money, hand over fist on his rental side of the business. Um, and so, just those things alone we went in and fixed he had three people on payroll as well he had his payroll is way higher than what it should have been we fired two of the three um put a screening policy in place this all happened in the first two months and, and did a, a a rent bump and within two months we effectively bought that property on a 12 cap uh, okay. i mean you know so we got the expense ratio down to it's like 40 47 percent uh, is where we're kind of running at this right where we're hovering so that one we bought on a five cap Within a couple of months it effectively was like a 12 cap and um, the cash on cash return is like through the roof. I mean it's, it's crazy. Wow. So that is our normal, um, it's kind of one of our normal deals. Uh, we're really good at uncovering the value and finding those needles in the haystacks. And mm-hmm. so on a cap rate side, it's not really yeah. relevant to us but what we can gotcha. do in the first 12 months is really what we're looking at and we're looking to hit a 20% cash on cash return. That is our 12 month objective. By month twelve, going you know from twelve to twenty four, we want to know that we can comfortably at the be at the eighteen to twenty percent or higher, conservatively leveraged cash on cash return.
0: Great, I appreciate that. So with this one in Virginia that you found it at eighty six expense ratio, mm-hmm. and you got it down to forty seven. Let me ask you, what is typical for an expense ratio on a mobile home park?
1: Um, it varies, but let's say a best case scenario, this is assuming that utilities are built directly by the service provider. Uh, The park doesn't own any of the rental homes whatsoever inside the community. So they're not maintaining air conditioners, roofs or plumbing or anything like that. Um, You could run as low as a, probably like a 31 to 33% expense ratio. And that would be assuming it's in a market where the real estate taxes aren't, you know, crazy out of control, like New York state. Um, And so you could run as low as like a 31 to 33% expense ratio. And then on the flip side of that, I've seen communities that they're running it efficiently, but they're in their lot rent, they're including water and sewer. Uh, when that happens, tenants tend to abuse it. They, they overuse. And so water and sewer expenses are really high. On top of that, it could be in a area that, um, that has extremely high property taxes. And then on top of that, there's also private sewer systems and well systems that exist in some communities where you have to have licensed operators. And so with that being said, kind of a worst case scenario, if it's being run properly, a worst case scenario, you might expect 50 to 55% and some of the um, uh, the heavier um, management intensive parks that are out there.
0: Gotcha. I do have a couple other quick questions. So for you, do you focus on on buying the the land or the units themselves and or do you transfer them
1: in a perfect world, we would just buy the land. But um, in this business, you have to be open to buying the units as well. Mm. So we own about 120 units today. It's not by choice. It's just part of the business. And so our goal is to own none of those units uh, and sell them back to the residents as fast as possible. But um, it seems like we keep accumulating more faster than we could sell them off. So,
0: <laughs> Gotcha.
1: I mean, essentially, you don't want the headaches of the, the roof and the AC and the plumbing. I mean, you eliminate all that when you just own the dirt and you just rent the lot to them. That's gotcha. all gone.
0: What type of team do you need to run a successful mobile home park investing business?
1: Yeah, so our team's pretty lean. Um, it's myself. And I've got two principals. Um, for our current infrastructure of 12 communities, we've got a, a, an in-house bookkeeper, and then we have... One regional manager. That's kind of the layer in between me and the and the actual community managers. Because at each one of our communities, we have a dedicated. Sometimes just one person. Sometimes a couple um, on site managers. So they kind of the on site managers control the day to day. And so I think today we have um, W two employee wise. I think we have uh, like sixteen or seventeen. Something around, so it's pretty lean. Um, and we can manage that current infrastructure. I mean, we could double in size and still maintain that current infrastructure at that, at about double the size we are today. We'll need to hire another, you know, what again, what we call is a district manager, which will be someone that's assigned 15 or so communities to oversee.
0: Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So Mm -hmm. we'll go right into the final five after these messages. This episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by both you and brought to you by the show itself. And we just wanted to say thank you, Jason. I really appreciate having you as a listener. And we have an ask. We've got a quick ask. If you have... Uh, been listening to the show for a little while. You love the show and you haven't taken the time to leave a rating and a review. I just wanted to ask to see if you wouldn't mind uh, going into iTunes and doing a written review as well as a rating. Um, So that's our only ask. Let's get back to the show. What's the most creative deal you've done?
1: Yeah, so we just we, we've done a lot of creative deals, but one recently that comes to mind is a uh, it's a, a note that we purchased up in Michigan. Um, it's actually brought to us by uh, I met this guy through the podcast that I host. Uh, he's a commercial note investor, so he buys distressed commercial notes. He brought us his mobile home park deal. Um, he is not in the mobile home park space; he only buys retailer office. Uh, mm-hmm. He brought us his deal. He also, he's funded by a family office. So, it's his family. Um, and, uh, so, they've got their internal funding structure in place. He didn't want to do do the deal on his own. And so, he essentially brought us in. He put up uh, 85% of the of the equity to buy this thing outright, to buy this note outright. And uh, he's also running the, not necessarily foreclosure because the owner is going to do, do a deed in lieu. He's going to essentially hand the property over to us. But, so, we got into this deal. Um, we're 50% owner in it, but we've only put up Uh, 15% of the actual equity due, And so, um, it's a sweetheart deal on top of that. This community, it's a gorgeous community. It comes with, well, it doesn't come with, but the owner also owns about 37 of the mobile homes in the community, which we want to own. We don't want to own those, but we do because we don't want him to have leverage. We don't want him moving out of the park. And so, we have to purchase those. And so, this family office is also going to fund 85% and we'll still have a 50% ownership in those 37 homes. So, It's a sweetheart deal for us. Um, We got a lot of equity built into the deal right out of the gate and we've only had to put up 15% of the deal to do so.
0: Awesome. What's a book that you'd recommend to the audience?
1: Yeah, so I've been reading Pitch Anything um, by, I think it's Or I think, I, I'm going off of memory here. I don't remember the author's exact name, but I think it's Orca And then another one that, uh, that I've read many, many times over again is um, Meet and Grow Rich. So it's kind of a spinoff of uh, Think and Grow Rich, but it's really about the power behind masterminds and, and why you should either consider joining a mastermind or starting your own
0: mastermind, in the, in the, you know, the power of many brains in one room together. I need to read that. Okay. Where were you five years ago from today and where will you be in five years from now?
1: Five years ago is really getting uh, the start into this business. I was looking for that first community and was struggling financially. Again, I had gone through the crash in 2008, uh, really hard times, lost pretty much everything that I had worked for for many years and I had bad credit and didn't have a lot of money in the bank. And so uh, five years ago was a kind of the start of where I'm at today. Like that was like the, the revival period for Kevin Bup. <laughs> mm. uh, five years from now, we've got some pretty lofty goals here internally as a company. Um, we've got our sights set on owning 10,000 lots, uh, mobile home park lots here in the U.S. And so that's essentially, we're at about 1,000 now. We'll be um, probably just over 2,000 by the end of this year. And, um, and so we've got a lot of growing to do. We've got to do eight more thousand in a period of four years.
0: That's great, thank you. Yeah. How do you give back?
1: So a couple different ways I give back. Um, one thing, I'm, I've been involved in the uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters program um, for a number of years. I mentor. Uh, he was 12, 11 or 12 when I met him. Um, he's 16 today, so I've been you know, just blessed to have that opportunity to interact with a, a young guy that's just kind of getting his start and, um, you know, trying to show him the ropes. He's got, you he comes from a single mother, um, hasn't really had a father figure. So it's really rewarding doing that. In addition, um, I'm a big cyclist. That's kind of one of my hobbies. And I've, I've wrapped my charitable endeavors around my, my passion of cycling. And so for the last eight years, I host multiple events, but the main event is a 280-mile three-day bike ride from Fort Myers Beach, which is here on the west coast of Florida, all the way down to Key West. And mm. essentially bring in, you know, 65 riders from all across the country that have to raise funds for this charity. And then we essentially go and feed thousands of families here locally and provide gifts uh, during the, the Christmas season. So, families that wouldn't have a meal or wouldn't have uh, gifts for their children to open on Christmas morning. We provide thousands, I think last year, or last year actually Irma caused some issues with our ride, but uh, the year prior we fed about 2,200 families in total. So, um, and in addition to that, we also do a backpack brigade where we put together backpacks of school supplies for, for children that, you know, don't have the money, the parents don't have the money to buy those types of things for them. And we give those out to different charities here in the area. So all this is fueled from my, cycling
0: endeavors (laughs) that's really cool yeah how do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out and maybe if they're accredited and they want to join you in your Mm -hmm. fund
1: yeah, so absolutely. So if you want to learn more about our business, uh, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. You can learn about our, our company, our mobile home park investments. There's a link there as well to our investment portal uh, to where you can get signed up to get updates on our uh, next offering that's coming out. As far as me personally, if you want to get in contact with me or you know listen to any of my previous podcast episodes, you can go to kevinbupp.com
0: Great. Thank you for being on the show. You've added a lot of value. And until next time, guys, think outside.